Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area between Baltimore and Bel Air, and our pastor is Josh Plantholt. Come join us on a Sunday. Our service info is at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. Revelation chapter 13. <clears throat> we are finishing chapter 13 today. So we are warp speed. <laughs> I know, I know. <clears throat> As you turn there, we're going to be introduced to the third person of the evil trinity. In chapter 12, we were introduced to Satan as a dragon. In chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, Satan raises a dragon-like beast uh, from the sea, uh, who is the Antichrist. In chapters 13, uh, and now in today's passage, starting at verse 11, <clears throat> Satan now raises another beast, uh, but this time not from the sea, but out of the earth. Uh, and this will be the third person of the anti-trinity. Uh, and before we, we jump into today's text, you don't need to know this, but I think it's fun anyway, so I'm going to do it. Uh, sea monsters, when you are familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, sea monsters are often, like in the story of Jonah, um, it often refers to Gentile nations. Uh, it, it says that... Um, uh, the Israelites going into Babylonian captivity was like a great sea monster swallowing Israel. So there's, there's connections there. And then at the same time, whenever we read about the land in the Old Testament, a lot of times it refers to Israel. Uh, so just the thought, but it's possible that if the Antichrist rises out of the sea, he might be coming to power from the Gentile nations. And if this false prophet is rising up out of the earth, he is coming to power from within Israel, within Jerusalem, which makes sense because as we read today, his entire focus is on false worship. Uh, so this, this makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> uh, verse 11. Is that echo driving anyone crazy or is that okay? Sorry. 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 It's all right. Okay. Echo, echo, echo. I'm good if you're good. Uh, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had a whole, two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. This horrible infernal monster that rises out from the earth seems at first unthreatening. He appears as a lamb with, you ever see a little lamb with two tiny cute little nubs on the top of his head, his horn? But his voice was like that of a dragon. <clears throat> one of the greatest threats that Satan possesses, one of the most deadly arrows in Satan's quiver, is deception. He is a master, 2 Timothy 11.14, at painting dragons to look like lambs. He is a master at disguising his agents and his snares as harmless and lamb-like. So, here's a warning before we move any further. <clears throat> and, and this is counsel for others and counsel for yourself. If you are in sin, if you are doing something that you know you ought not to be doing, please understand when Satan comes into your life, 
when he comes into our life, and when we, when we take the bait and buy what he's selling, typically there are two phases to his traps. There's the lamb phase and the dragon phase. Right now, the sins that you have may seem unthreatening. They may seem cute and lamb-like. You ever, do, you ever start doing something you know you shouldn't do when you convince yourself it's innocent? It's not hurting anybody. It relieves my stress. Well, you don't want me stressed out all the time, so I need this thing. You believe it to be a lesser evil, if evil at all. But I warn you, that sin, that lamb, will eventually reveal itself as a lion. Eventually it will speak and it will have the voice of a dragon. And it will burn your world, your joy, your peace, your relationships, your contentment to the ground. I don't care how small the sin appears. If Satan has placed it into your life, it is a Trojan horse for a greater evil. So please listen. Before they viciously attack you and that lamb grows giant teeth, (laughs) because it will. You're sleeping outside of marriage, you're getting high, you're looking at things on the internet you shouldn't be looking at. It's a dragon. It's not a lamb. And it's only a matter and it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it turns to hurt you because it will. And so, this lamb beast, <clears throat> he looks like a lamb but speaks like a dragon in verse 12. And it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose whose mortal wound was healed. And if you remember from last week, the Antichrist is going to get wounded and he's going to have a miraculous recovery and the whole world's going to go, wow, the Messiah. (laughs) Uh, They're going to take the bait. Uh, And here we see this land beast makes the world then worship the sea beast. Here's my thinking. The dragon from chapter 12 was Satan. We know this. The sea beast from chapter 13, the early portions, uh, it was the Antichrist. And this land beast later is then to be called the false prophet, who I believe is an anti-type of anti-spirit. So this evil land beast is the third person of the evil trinity, the anti-spirit. Now later, again, he's going to be labeled the false prophet. And prophets in the Bible, they prophesy as led by the Spirit of God. Well, he is an anti-prophet. He is 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 a, a, a false prophet. And his ministry, as Satan is the antithesis of the Father, we saw in chapter 12, As the Antichrist is the antithesis of Jesus, the Son, so this false prophet is the antithesis of the Holy Spirit's working through God's true prophets. He's a liar. He does not deal in the spirit of truth. He deals with the spirit of lies. Verse 13. It performs great signs, making fire come down from heaven. To earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work. Notice even Satan has a leash. God allows him to do it. Allowed to work in the presence of the beast. It deceives those who dwell on the earth. In Revelation chapter 11. We were introduced, if you remember, to two of God's servants. The two witnesses. 
And here we are in Revelation chapter 13, and we are introduced to two of Satan's witnesses. And if you can recall the ministry of the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11, you would remember that the two witnesses performed great signs, like how they poured fire from out of their mouths to consume their enemies. Well, here is the anti-spirit. <laughs> Like Pharaoh's magicians, Jans and Jambres in the book of Exodus, who perform signs like Moses and Aaron. Well, here, the anti-spirit performs great signs like calling forth fire down from heaven in contrast to God's two witnesses. Here's the point. Deception. Satan is a deceiver, and he's a counterfeiter. There's just enough truth in it to make the lie dangerous. And so this is what he does. We're seeing it clear as day. In Revelation chapter 11, the Father sends two godly witnesses to tell the truth to the world. And in Revelation chapter 13, Satan sends two witnesses, counterfeit witnesses, to deceive the world, to bring it down into destruction, not into life. Verse 14. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast that deceives those who dwell on the earth. Now here's what... The, the, the signs are working towards. Telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. So, there were non-believers, there will be non-believers at this time, who were free thinkers. We know people like this. You know, they, they, they don't, they're not quite saved and they're not quite radically left. They're just, you know, the free thinking people, entrepreneurs. And so there are holdouts to the Antichrist ministry. But when this statue starts to speak, they go, I'm sold. They finally get it. There will be no one in the middle in the end times. So this false prophet is going to lead the world into making some sort of image of the Antichrist and then is going to give breath to the image to make its speech. There is definitely some mystery here. We, we don't know exactly what this image is, but the earliest full-length commentary the church has is written by a man uh, named Victorinius. It's the, it's the, it's the first full-length expository uh, uh, exposition on Revelation that we have from antiquity. And he thinks that this is likened to the, to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3. I think he's exactly right. And here in Revelation 13, like that statue, if you remember all the way back in Daniel, anyone who refused to worship the statue of Nebuchadnezzar by law was to be sentenced to death. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Sounds like a pop band a little bit, right? But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, no. Christian, Christian defiance. <laughs> Wonderful. They said, no. And so what? They were tossed in a furnace. Just like that, anyone who refuses to worship this statue to the Antichrist, they will be attacked. They will be slain. They will be imprisoned. And this image here is talked about by our Lord in Matthew 24, 15, as Daniel's abomination of desolation, which is mentioned in Daniel 9, 27. So it seems that three and a half years into the seven years of the Great Tribulation, so right before the Lord returns, there's going to be seven really tough years. 
And halfway through that tribulation, the Antichrist is going to get wounded, and then he's going to yet live. And it is then that the false prophet goes, it's a miracle. Well, when the guy that calls fire down from heaven says there's a real miracle, people that are deceived are really going to believe him. It's a real miracle. So he builds this statue to this false Christ uh, that, that has this false resurrection and places this statue, Daniel 11.31, right in front of the new temple that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem, thus replacing the sacrificial system with the Antichrist. Does this sound familiar? A little bit? When Jesus died and, and the, it is finished and the temple veil was torn in two, do we still need to sacrifice anything? Because Jesus is our once and for all sacrifice. The Antichrist is going to claim this about himself. There's no more need to sacrifice. I have accomplished it. He's a counterfeiter. He's a liar. And there's just enough truth in it. And as in this moment, when they declare the sacrificial system's over, the, the, the people bow down to worship the beast, the soon we're going to read, the mark is going to be given. It is in this exact moment, Jesus, you know Jesus gave a sermon on the end of the world? Isn't that awesome? It's called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, Jesus says, when that abomination of desolation is put in place, if you are in Jerusalem, run. Don't go into your house and grab your coat. Don't make a cup of coffee to go, which would be tempting. Run. Run as fast as you can into the wilderness, which is what we read in Revelation chapter 12, remember? They ran into the wilderness, and the dragon reared up and poured forth a flood from his mouth. Uh, and God said, nah, and he opened up the earth and it swallowed the flood, and the people got the fleet of safety, and he was furious and made war against the, the woman's children and the saints. Okay, but they are to run. They run as fast as they can. This is a truly horrible moment. Even Jesus spoke about it for us. But yet this is another reason why this land beast is a type of false Holy Spirit. I want you to think about it. When the Holy Spirit is at work within the church, he does not draw attention to himself. When the Holy Spirit is living and active in the life of the believer, he is almost always drawing attention to Jesus, to the Son. Well, here this false prophet is pointing to Satan's Son, the Antichrist. So we're seeing again that the evil trinity is in full string. They have structured their whole dynamic off of the perfect structure, the triune God, three in one. Get a Maria, good song choice today. <laughs> now, for our next three verses, we're going to read something that you're probably familiar with, and that is the mark of the beast, 666. You ready? I am. <laughs> I don't know why God made coffee so good. Amen. But it's just one of his graces. This and bacon. I, you know, his love is unmeasurable. <laughs> and a good steak. I'll throw that in there. But, you know. Uh, verse 16. <laughs> Cows shudder when I walk by. They know. <clears throat> I do. I, it's, it's something else. Uh, verse 16. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand and on the forehead. Few thoughts here. First, 
God is revealing to us that when the Antichrist and the false prophet come into power, no one, no one will be exempt from their influence and power. This is very different than we see today. I think one of the things is becoming apparent to most of us, and it's becoming increasingly clear to me, that as we look at things like the World Economic Forum and Epstein and large banking institutions, you know, I read, I read people back from the Puritan age, you know, and back from the 1800s, and they talk about how big bankers are always profiting off of the war and conjuring up these things. But I think what's becoming increasingly clear is that above presidents, above prime ministers, there are very powerful people with lots of money and influence behind the scenes, calling some of the shots, pulling some of the strings, having great influence. But in the end times, there will not be one person above the beast. Every billionaire and trillionaire must get this mark or die. There is not one person above his power. They will all be subjects of the beast or they will perish. Now knowing that sort of power, how drunk that would make somebody in delusion, makes sense why he hates Christians so much. Because we'd rather die. He can't deal with that. Now secondly, an obvious question we all should have is what is this mark? Right? Well, it seems to be some sort of identification of allegiance to the Antichrist. I'm going to get into this in tomorrow morning's Bible study. But we, we read that the Antichrist is wounded on his right arm and on his head. Well, where's the mark of the beast? Right arm, head. It's proving a clear allegiance to the false resurrection of the false Christ. I am aligning myself to this man. And yes, again, I do think this will be some sort of physical mark. Uh, maybe it could be a tattoo. If I can put on a tinfoil hat for one second, if you'd allow me. Uh, maybe it's a microchip under the skin and you know, Bill Gates is going to plan it. I don't know. But uh, I do think it will be something like this. But <clears throat> Christians can be so funny. We can lose the forest for the trees sometimes. How the mark comes is not the emphasis. <laughs> the buying and selling, the participating in the Antichrist system is a problem, right? But what is the mark ultimately? Let's get to the root of this. It's an indication of a spiritual status before God. There is a theme all throughout the Bible where God marks people as his own. And here we are saying Satan marks his people as his own. So yes, there is a physical mark, but beyond this, it reveals a spiritual one. Sort of like baptism, it reveals you do something outwardly to prove what's already happened inwardly. So I believe we, we would do ourselves a lot of good if we could think clearly here. The mark of the beast with, that, that will be given by the Antichrist and the false prophet will be given when the statue of the Antichrist is erected in the new temple in Jerusalem. So that means as believers, we can see new technologies that may be coming and go, ooh, this could lead to the mark of the beast. But that also means 
that until there's a new temple and the Antichrist and the false prophet and the statues erected in front of that temple, none of these systems will be the mark of the beast. I remember being a little kid. Oh, God, it freaked me out because I was fresh off of those Left Behind movies and I was convinced a train was coming through my house in the middle of the night. There's a pilotless plane and it's coming for my house. I know it. <laughs> and I remember I was... I. <laughs> this is actually probably terrible, but we used to have those little uh, like grape juice shot glasses for when we did communion back then. And after the end of service, all the kids would run and finish the juice. <laughs> and I was there getting a sugar high, just knocking these things back. <clears throat> and some guy who worked for the government came up to my dad with a, with a badge. He worked for the government and it had a little barcode on it. And in order to get into certain security rooms, you had to scan the barcode. And he was red in the face telling him, this is it. The mark is coming. There's barcodes now. <laughs> and as a kid, I'm going, oh no, here it comes. You know, Barcodes are not the mark of the beast. It tells you where your coconut water's expired or whatever. Your social security number is not the mark of the beast. Vaccines are not the mark of the beast. Bitcoin is not the mark of the beast. And when America eventually makes the mistake of switching to a federal digital dollar and then they know every penny we spend, that sounds great, it will not be the mark of the beast. And if the Lord tarries for another hundred years, when our grandkids and great-grandkids are calling each other from the brain in their chip, <laughs> sending text messages via blinks, it will not be the mark of the beast. Now, it may not be a good idea to get it. You know, don't upgrade the new brain chip, son. You know, sure. I don't know. But it will not be the mark of the beast until the beast demands the mark. So here's my point. We can be leery about new technologies. Sure. I don't want an Alexa in my house because I know Amazon's listening. I'm unplugging those things. No, thank you. Right? But there's... The, we could be leery about new technology. There's nothing wrong with it. But at the same time, we must be careful about labeling everything as Satan's instrument of ultimate destruction. <laughs> when it does not hit our biblical checklists. Amen? Okay. We're thinking well. Verse 16. Also it causes all, both small and great, rich, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand and on the forehead. Verse 17. So that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. You want groceries? Get the mark or too bad. You've been canceled. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Again, do you see this as a clear sign of allegiance to this man? Verse 18. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man and his number the six, six, six. Why is the number of the beast six, six, six? Have you ever wondered that? I'm a numbers guy. I, I just always, what are you doing, God? Well, we are given a clue. God says, let one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. So in order to understand the significance, we need to calculate pse, pse fidzo. Pse fidzo is what that Greek word is, calculate. 
Uh, and I was trying to think, how, how do I explain this? And I, I draw from a personal experience here. My Nathan's in first grade, and he's learning math. And uh, I, I, sometimes when we were starting to do his math problems and they were getting hard, you know, seven plus three, and he's like, oh, man, that's a big number. He says, that's okay. My teacher said I can use my counters, his fingers. <laughs> so we go three plus seven, you know, and he, that's what it means. Those who have wisdom must use their counters. They must calculate. Uh, in antiquity, this word would mean to put stones or pebbles on a table and use them for math. So, so we must calculate. To figure out the meaning of 666, we need math. Calculation is involved. And I believe we could take this in two ways, and there's a secret third one tomorrow, which you're going to have to check out the Bible study if you want to hear it. First, Israel was a people of how many tribes? Twelve. Twelve. This section passed. You guys better catch up. <laughs> Jesus had how many apostles? Ah, okay. Two to verse two to one. Okay. <clears throat> In the book of Revelation, we see the 144,000 of God's people. 144 is the square of 12. It's 12 times 12. But it's 144,000, so it's 12 times 12 times 1,000 to its highest number, to its apex. Okay, so at a most basic level, if God's people are a 12 and Satan's people are a 6, then Satan's people are half a twelve. They are an incomplete community. They are an incomplete number. They are an infernal community. They are not what God has designed them to be. Which we see that often a lot in mobs, don't we? Now also, if we think about the number seven, this applies. In the book of Revelation, God's people are twelves, but they're also sevens. How many churches did we see in Revelation chapter two and three? Seven. There were seven letters to the seven churches. Well, six is one shy of seven. So again, this is pointing to an incomplete community. The, a life outside of the church, outside of the kingdom of God, is an incomplete life according to who? The pastor? No. To God. The one who created community. The one who created you. <laughs> And I believe there are three sixes because all through this book, God has been a seven. When God is described in this book, often he's described in seven attributes or in seven ways. So since Satan pretends to be God like God the Father, he is not, uh, yet he is not. He is a six, not a seven. And since the Antichrist pretends to be like Jesus, who is a seven, yet he is not, he is a six. He's not a seven. And yet the false prophet pretends to be like the Holy Spirit, yet he is not. He is a six. He is a seven. But if you notice, it says this 666 is the number of a man, a singular man. What did Jesus say when, when he was there? Remember they said, Jesus, I think it was a Thomas, I forget who it was. And they said, can you show us the Father? Philip. Philip. Doc, you get a gold star today and a hug and a kiss if you want it, but not too much. Uh, <laughs> See what comes out of my head? This is crazy. He said, do you not understand? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And what's the Spirit of God called? The Spirit of Christ. Jesus was the representation of all three in one. Well, what is the Antichrist? 
He's a representation of all three in one. Yes, he is a singular person, but he represents the infernal trinity as he stands there. So it makes total sense that the 666 is a number belonging to one man, yet represents three peoples. So 666 then could be pointing to, again, an infernal trinity, a counterfeit trinity. Now, secondly, and this one might have even more legitimacy to it. To you, it might sound less legitimate, but I think so. I believe this is pointing to Nero. In both the Greek and in the Hebrew, did you know letters have numbers attached to them? A means one, B means two, C means three. It was a way to do some calculations. Well, in the Greek, the name Neron Caesar, if it's written in Hebrew letters, it adds up to 666. So this 666 may be pointing to the evil emperor Nero. And again, notice in the text, there's an emphasis on a singular person. Now, there, there is a problem with this because there's some manuscript problems. In some of the earliest manuscripts we have on the book of Revelation, it actually, the number is not 666, it's 616. Did you know that? <laughs> so there's some, there's some uh, really smart people arguing about what's the correct number. However, when the Latin name for Nero is translated into Hebrew, it adds up to 616. If this calculating is the point to Nero, we can gather a few things. When, when the Antichrist comes, he will be like Nero in the sense that he will be a brutal, evil, and vile man. And like Nero, who sat on the throne of Rome as the human authority of the planet, so will the Antichrist. And if this is pointing to Nero, which it may not be, but if it is, God is then pointing to the example of Nero to give us a picture for what the Antichrist is going to be like and how cruel he is going to be to believers. Nobody in the history of humanity has been more cruel to Christians than Nero. And I believe God gave him that authority to say, this is a type for the man who is to come. Now, this letter was circulated amongst a Roman population. Asia Minor was in Roman control. So in order to point to Nero as an example for what the Antichrist will be like, they would have to put it in code or the letter would have been burned. (laughs) So there's some legitimacy to this. And that's today's text. Can you believe we read so many verses today? This is crazy. Merry Christmas. Uh, In 1 John 2, verse 18, John reveals that there is an uh, the Antichrist coming. John reveals in 1 John that an Antichrist person is coming. But then he reveals that there are many Antichrists in the world, even today. Have you ever met someone truly evil? Then you know what I'm talking about. There are such a things, according to the Apostle John, of evil spirits in people. Then later, in 1 John uh, 4... John tells us what to do with this information. So, uh, so we understand. There is an evil Antichrist coming. There is an evil false prophet coming. But John says, but there's spirits already here. And John tells us what to do with this information. Because here's the trap. Prophecy is worse served than speculation. 
If this whole teaching becomes, I wonder how God's going to do this, and I wonder what God, how are we building ourselves up? How are we growing closer to Christ if we're just scratching curiosity the whole time? And John stops that and he goes, no, we can apply it now. Because we're dealing with these issues partially now. So listen to this. 1 John 4, 1, beloved. Isn't that awesome? Hey, I do that too, loved ones. <laughs> He's talking to the church. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see it? By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. You see the false prophet and the Antichrist are together. Which you, have, which you heard was coming and now is all in the world already. Little children. I love that. I can't call you little children. You're, most of you are older than me. You are, when I'm 80, I'm going to pull that card out. Little ones. <laughs> pull out a Charlton Heston voice too. Uh, little children, <clears throat> you are from God and have overcome them. <laughs> That's all. I'm going to preach and I, I, we don't have time. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You know how the, everyone's a victim now? If you are a believer, you're not allowed to be. You are not a victim. People may be cruel to you. People may be mistreating you. People may have done horrible things to you. In Christ, you are a conqueror. Put your eyes on the greater prize than your reputation, money, or whatever. Verse 5. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows... God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John, who was recording the book of Revelation, wrote the book of 1 John after Revelation. Did you know that? The book of 1 John came after Revelation. And at several places in 1 John, John gives us a window at how to apply the book of Revelation. Isn't that awesome? He gives little points of commentary to help us understand what he was seeing in that book. And here John, clear as day, is connecting the false prophet with evil spirits who he calls the spirit of the Antichrist in chapter 2. So John, though he says a literal antichrist, a literal false prophet is coming one day, in a very real sense, there are those with their spirit who are already here and working amongst us today. And as we read, what does John tell us to do with this? How do we apply this word to our lives? And you know what John says? Test them. Test the spirits. Because the spirit of the Antichrist and the spirit of the false prophet are working amongst us today. And this tells us, as we look at Revelation 13, what, we are that, what they are trying to accomplish amongst us. What is the spirit of the false prophet trying to accomplish amongst us? False worship. Now because today's passage was primarily on the false prophet, because I could take this 10,000 places, I want to focus on the ministry of the anti-Holy Spirit. Since it is the Holy Spirit's ministry and delight to always drive the believer into a closer communion, into a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ, 
then the spirit of error, the anti-Holy Spirit, the, the false prophet, the, the, the spirit of deception that is alive and working today is always working to drive the world to the spirit of an antichrist. The false spirit is trying to drive you to a false Christ, to a false Messiah, a false hope, a false ideology, a false temple. Have you ever looked at old photos? I love history of late 1930s, early 1940s Nazi Germany. And when you look at those videos, because we, you know, we're on the other side of things and we see Hitler and it's like, oh, where's his horn and pitchfork, you know? But we see it and there's hundreds of thousands of people crying, happy to see him, thrilled to see him, standing for hours to listen to him speak. And in our ignorance, can't we think, how could anyone fall for that? But we have to remember, there have been a thousand Hitlers throughout history. I guarantee you there are over a billion people alive today that if they were given the power that he was given would create equal or worse atrocities than Hitler was allowed to. (laughs) And why? Why is it that way? Because this is exactly how Satan, the spirit of his son, uh, and the spirit of the false prophet operate in our world. It works to drive us to false Christs. Through lies and deception, it leads people to follow antichrist spirit figureheads and movements and ideologies. And so a really good word for the church here, as John gives us application in 1 John, is to test the spirits. If you hear anything I say today, test the spirits. If there is a movement happening in our culture... If there's a cultural shift at some point, you know, I think of the hippies. Sha la 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 la, live for today, right? They got the whole, you know, I, I always think of that song. All the, uh, uh, now no, I'm getting on a total tangent here. Uh, the sign said, all you long haired freaky people need not apply that I tuck my hair up under my hat. And I wanted to ask them why. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, but if there's a shift in, in policies, there's this great movement in, in, in <clears throat> In our culture, if there's a great wave of enthusiasm towards something, we need to test whether this is being led by the spirit of truth, of God, or the spirit of error and deception. Let me put a finger in some eyes here. (laughs) When thousands of people put on pink hats and march through Washington, D.C., demanding the right to abort children in the womb, We need to test the spirit behind this. And when climate activists are demanding to depopulate the world for a carbon footprint so the deer can live but humans can die, we must test the spirit behind this. Because the spirit of truth, the spirit of error, of the false Christ leads us to misery. It leads to infernal community and depression and sadness and hopelessness. But the spirit of truth leads us to life. One of my great joys when I give a funeral is I love to talk about how Jesus ruined every funeral he ever went to. 
<laughs> He'd show up and the dead would spring back to life. Sorry I ruined your party. <laughs> Gonna have to bury him in 15 years. I don't know what to tell you. Gonna have to rebuy the mourners. <sighs> Everything God does for us is for our good. The spirit of truth, and listen, sometimes truth hurts. Sitting on a cactus sometimes, you know, it hurts. But it's for our good. Because God is awesome. Our God is so good to us. He's better than the best things that we could even conceive of or comprehend. You know, the Bible talks about God, I, I don't think, in any other way more than his holiness. Now, the word holy means to separate. Now, we in our sinful state can go, well, God is holy and we are unholy. And, and there's a sense that that is true. But it's not just that he's separate from us and our negativity. He's separate into the best of the best of the best. The angels are so beautiful, people pass out before them, but God is a separate beauty beyond that. You ever seen a really good father or mother, and it's a beautiful thing to see? God is so far beyond that in his love for his children. Everything his spirit drives us to is to deeper and deeper beauty. And everything the spirit of lies drives us to is to death. An eternal death. Which is why John tells us we must test the spirits. Because at first the information can almost seem to be the same. Because of the deception within it. So how do we test the spirit? How do we test the spirit? Because if pharisaicalism or legalism has taught us anything. Just because a religious person doesn't like something. That doesn't necessarily make it wrong. Now does it? You know, people, they are always going off of their gut. Well, the Pharisees went on their gut and killed Jesus. So, you know, there goes your plan. <laughs> the gut feeling of a pious person is not enough. So how do we know? What's the standard? How do we judge? How do we test whether something is being fueled by the spirit of truth or the spirit of lies? And good news, John tells us exactly how to test the spirit in 1 John 5. John puts all of the ways of testing, whether something is good or something is bad, into a singular person. We test the spirits by asking one question. Is this figurehead, is this speaker, is this movement glorifying and honoring Jesus Christ as Lord and God or not? Because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will always magnify Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son from the Father. Who is God? According to the Apostle John, if you want to know if something, if some movement is holy and good, or if it is a dragon disguised as a lamb, all you have to do is figure out one thing. Does it magnify Jesus Christ as Lord or doesn't it? You know, see, John was given a vision. He saw the whole world fall into this deception. Into false worship, false ideology, false chaos. And then he writes his book, 1 John, about five years later. And he warns us at how to not fall into this trap. And it's so simple. I love when John talks to us. 
It's so simple. Paul sometimes, I feel like, oh boy, here we go. But John, he's nice and easy for me. <laughs> you know, it's great. And it's so simple, he calls us little children. Little kids, listen to me. That's what he does. The wisdom that you're hearing, the, the words that people are telling you, the movements that are happening around you, you can tell if they are from the Spirit of God or not, if it magnifies Jesus Christ or not. How simple is that? And so loved ones, in the day of social media and television and cell phones, there has never been more information circling, circling amongst society than today. You notice when you turn on the TV... One station says one thing, and then you flip the channel, and they're saying the exact opposite thing on the other channel. And then you get on social media, and half the people are saying one thing, and everyone who believes otherwise is an idiot, royal idiot. And the other half is saying something totally different, and everyone who says otherwise is a moron and a buffoon. <laughs> you know, I, I truly believe that. More than ever, before in human history, is John's advice to the church more applicable. We need to test the spirits. And thinking of our text today, I want you to notice that the thrust of the deception from the evil one that is alive and working today, the spirit of the Antichrist and the false prophet, is out here today. It was said in a religious context. No one tries to orchestrate more church abuse than Satan's spirits. The statue, the deception that helped deceive and damn the world was placed in a temple. <laughs> Loved ones, please understand and hear me. It is not that just that Satan works on deceiving the world within its own institutions and movements, but he also delights to work in the church. You can go online today and find a pastor who will excuse any sin you have. Yeah. You will find one. Pastor who says, doing meth is great. You know, and you'll, here you go. Here's my guy. He gets it. You know, and you'll find your, he specializes in religious deception. And so we must always be on guard. We must test the spirits at all times. And a surefire way to test the spirit of a church John tells us to ask ourselves the question. Are they magnifying Jesus Christ as Lord and God or not? Are they being true to the word of God? Because what did Jesus say? He who loves me keeps my commandments. It's the word of God. How do we know who Jesus is? The word of God. So, let's play a little game. we got about three minutes left. I'm sure your butts are sore, but we'll, we'll get through it. If the church service is more about politics than it is about Jesus Christ, there is a serious red flag. If the church service is more about community, equality, social justice, equity, than it is about Jesus Christ, there is a serious red flag. Here's one that sneaks through a lot of people's radars. And I just, if this is a hard word for you, I want you to take it in and take it to the scriptures, okay? If the church service is consistently more about the Holy Spirit and prophecy than it is about Jesus Christ, there is a serious red flag. I do not see anywhere in the scripture where the Holy Spirit's going, look at me. (laughs) You don't see it. Here it is in 1 John, clear as day, test 
the spirits. For the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, magnifies Jesus Christ always. Remember what the scriptures say. All the scriptures testify of him, of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has designed our Bible in such a way that every passage, all roads lead to Jesus. And think about the lamp within the first three chapters of Revelation. It says the lamps were lit. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit with that oil. Does the flame point to itself or does it illuminate others? <laughs> the Holy Spirit is shining on the lamp keeper who was Jesus Christ amongst his church. The entire Bible is pointing to Jesus Christ because it is the spirit of truth, infallible and perfect. And here's the reason we have peace with the Father, Jesus. Jesus is the reason the Spirit dwells within us and marks us. He is our hope, our joy, and our peace. And so as we close, one more time, test the Spirit. You see, you know, every, everything's gearing up to, towards the new presidential election. Midterms are over, now they're sacrificing Joe Biden, and now, now we're going to the next thing. We're moving towards the new midterms. And if you see a candidate you like, you see a movement you find interesting, you discover a pastor you love listening to because he's got a great beard and eats bacon, right? <laughs> test the spirit. You should test me. Test the spirit. Is the church glorifying Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God, as Lord, curious over all creation, or not? Are they being biblical or not? Because if they are not, be careful and do not build your house on it. You know, now, there, let's swing the other way. One minute left. We'll make it. The news. If you're going to relegate yourself to only listen to Christians, you might as well never read the news. Where are you going to go? Yeah. So we can learn things. We can learn things from non-believers. Okay? We can learn things from, from say you like CNN or Fox News, you know, Daily Wire, The Pundit, whatever you're listening to. You, you can learn things from them, but if they're not magnifying Jesus Christ, you can only take it in so far. And music. I love music. I just sang you a hippie song earlier. I love music. But when it comes to non-Christian music, be careful. And only take it in so far. Music. Um, movies. Video games. TV shows. Facebook. Books. You know. As the apostle. You know the apostle Paul and, and Solomon read non-Christian works? <laughs> and they put it into the Bible. It's okay to draw from non-Christians, but we must test the Spirit. And if it is not glorifying Jesus Christ as God and Lord, we can only take it in so far. And often we have to reject it. So test the spirits. Are they glorifying Jesus Christ as Lord and God? And are they being biblical? So be careful, because if they are not, you may have a dragon disguised as a lamb on your hands. And get rid of it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that is contained within it. We thank you for your wisdom. God, we, 
Well, what a passage to instruct us on, on wise living. God, we do pray that you help us to be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. And God, store your word in our hearts that we may not sin against you. God, whatever our gut feelings are, whatever our thoughts are, let us take it to your word. I think about the Bereans. Everything Paul would say, the Bereans would go, let's go check. (laughs) And Paul loved them for it. God, let us be Bereans and go to the word. And God, let us pray the word. <laughs> let us think the word. Let us dream the word. <laughs> oh. God, we, we love you. We praise you. God, we pray that you help us to be extra sensitive to the leading of your spirit. Help us to test the spirits. And let us not fall into deception. And at the same time, God, we it says, it says, one man and a thousand read the Bible, but the thousand read that one man. Let us lead well. People are watching us. Let us not get in, give in to deception when all others fall. Let us stand on the authority of your word and lead boldly in it. God, we ask if anyone here that does not know you, maybe they have been given in, their, their, their lamb has now turned into a dragon and has gnawn their leg off. God, we, we ask, we pray, we plead that you would deliver them today and that they may live from this moment forth for your glory. Capture them, God, and bring them back. We pray though for those that are weary, God, and are tired that you may strengthen them. We pray for those who are sick that you may heal them. God, we ask for a mighty move of your true spirit to your glory. In Jesus' name. Oh, if anyone needs special prayer, we have people by the side to pray with. And God, send us out in power today and help us to test the spirits. In Jesus' name, all who agreed said, amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary, Baltimore. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. If you can't be here in person, We also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Weekly Sermon.